0: So the gospel reading that Mariah just read comes from John chapter 12. And it's this, this picture of, of extravagant worship that Mary in our story lavishes upon Jesus. And that idea of worship has been a, a constant in all of our scripture passages this morning. Verse 21 of of Isaiah 43 says that someday God's people will honor him, worship him before the whole world. In Psalms 126, there's this expression of worship as the author remembers what God has done. And then we get this picture of, of extravagant worship in John chapter 12 that really does center around this verse. So, so in these couple of lines that capture the heart of the story, really everything that has come up until this verse in John chapter 12 is details driving to this verse. And then everything that comes after this in, in John chapter 12, in this portion of scripture that we've read, is reaction to what we see in this verse. And so the details. It's six days before the Passover, so we are about a week out from the events of Christ's betrayal and his torture and his crucifixion. And in the preceding chapter, John chapter 11, we see that Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, and that so infuriates the religious leaders that they put out essentially a a see-something, say-something kind of order. As they begin to plot Christ's death. And so the, the word goes out that if you see Jesus, report him to the religious authority so that they can grab him. And as, as the Passover gets closer, people are talking, do you think Jesus will show up at the Passover? I don't know, what do you think? And so there's this chatter that's going on because people know that if Jesus shows up, there's going to be Fireworks. And when Jesus does surface, it's here in John chapter 12, and it's at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, this brother and these two sisters, just a handful of miles outside the city of Jerusalem where the Jewish nation has gathered to celebrate the Passover, this, this feast where God's people remember God's deliverance. And this dinner being thrown at Lazarus' house, it's, it's being held to, to honor Jesus, And that makes sense because it's only been a couple of weeks at the most since Jesus has brought Lazarus back from the dead. And so so Lazarus is there, Martha serves, and Mary turns up here in verse 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. And as far as the reaction, Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, Judas calls this out as being wasteful. It's estimated that the cost of this perfume with its ingredients coming from the mountains of northern India would be about $30,000 in today's money. And Jesus replies, and in his reply, he does not diminish at all our responsibility to care for the poor. He's simply recognizing that his own time is short. Jesus replies, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Jesus ties this act of worship to his own death, something probably not on the radar of anyone else in the house that day. But Jesus ties this act of extravagant worship to his own death. And this is the thing that makes this passage a Lenten scripture. This week, uh, I found this from a devotional. It says, even though the money from the sale of the perfume could have been used to do a lot of good things, Jesus considers her act to be completely appropriate. Why? Because it is an act of worship. And he, Jesus, knows that life begins with what you worship. Worship the wrong things and nothing else will come out quite right. But worship the living God who has given himself for us in the sacrifice of Jesus. You have a new sense of what matters and you will prioritize your life accordingly. Suddenly you find yourself wasting your life on Jesus by giving your life to his agenda rather than your own. I wonder what you think of that line. Life begins with what you worship. Life begins with what you worship. A couple of weeks ago in our Kingdom Come series, we talked about worship. Ryan actually led us in that conversation and mentioned that our word worship comes from an old English word, which is actually worth So that, that, that worship has everything that you assign worth to, has, has everything to do with what you assign value to. What you assign in your life, this thing, this person, this idea, this concept, this cause, now this, this is of real value. Now now this, this is of ultimate worth to me because whatever that thing is for you, that is what you are worshiping. And we see this play out in the life of of Mary here in John chapter 11 and, and, and John chapter 12. If you put yourself in Mary's shoes for an instant, if that's you, and remember that that we're talking about worship here, if that's you and this Jesus has just brought an end to your pain and despair like that, Your brother who was dead is suddenly back with a shout. You've got this resurrected brother. What kind of value, what kind of worth do you place on Jesus? To have the pain and the despair of death rolled back by the unexpected joy of new life. A brother back from the grave, $30,000, the cost of this perfume doesn't even begin to cover the value of the one who causes all that. That new life, that miracle to happen. And so if worship has everything to do with, with what you assign value to, real value, ultimate worth to, you can see that, that this picture It's the same picture that's on the front of your bulletin. Painted by James Tissot gets it absolutely right. Mary, because of how Jesus has moved in her life and in the life of her family, Mary assigns ultimate value to Jesus. And because of that, our story, this picture, finds her in deep worship, in deep devotion, at the feet of Jesus There's this pretty famous quote from the writer David Foster Wallace that comes from a commencement speech that he gave back in 2005. Wallace was not a Christian, yet has some fascinating things to say about worship. Here's part of what he said in that speech. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual lore, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious things about these forms of worship is they're unconscious, they are default settings. This quote that comes from a purely secular point of view calls out the kinds of things that our culture convinces us to go all in for, to orbit around, to assign ultimate worth to. Things like money and getting bigger and better stuff and health and beauty and attractiveness and power and prestige and status and being viewed a certain way. He calls out being smart, but really any way in, in, in the world that gives you a sense of accomplishment and significance and meaning. And Wallace calls out that, that when you assign ultimate worth to those kind of things, they will eat you alive. Wallace is onto something extremely biblical here, even though he probably doesn't realize it. Pastor Tim Keller says what Wallace says like this, We try to maintain control of our lives by living for others or for other things, for money, career, family, fame, romance, sex, power, comfort, social and political causes or something else. But the result is always a loss of control, a form of slavery. Everyone has to live for something. And again, that's worship. And if that something is not God, then we are driven by that thing we live for, by overwork to achieve it, by inordinate fear if it is threatened, deep anger if it is being blocked, and inconsolable despair if it is lost. Not, not only will those things control you, but everything on Wallace's list, everything on Keller's list, money and stuff and health and allure and power and prestige and fame and family and comfort and being viewed a certain way. Even though there is a pull to spend your entire life chasing after those kind of things, nothing on Wallace's list, nothing on Keller's list is bulletproof. It is all in one way or another going away. And Wallace calls out that the pursuit of these things, he calls that pursuit worship. That that pursuit is your default setting because as Keller notes, everyone has to live for something. You don't get a choice in the matter. You are instinctively wired to grab onto something. That is to say, as humans, you and I, we are hardwired to worship. It is absolutely in our hearts. And we have to worship because we are hardwired to look for safety and security and significance and satisfaction and joy and hope and meaning To find our value. We have got to find those things someplace. And that's the thing in our story. Mary's extravagant act of worship shows us that she has found someone that can provide the things that she and you and I are hardwired to seek. That she has found someone who can provide the safety and security and significance and satisfaction and joy and hope and meaning and value that we are looking for. She's found that someone, the one with the power over death, the the one with the power of life. She's found that someone, and it's Jesus. And you can know the same thing. Because it is only through how God has loved you through Jesus that you will ever get the answers to your deepest longings and your deepest needs. Through Jesus, your future is secure no matter what this life throws at you. Life is not bulletproof, but God is. That you are loved beyond your wildest imagination. Despite your sin, despite your hurts, despite your shame, despite your fears and your doubts and your questions. That that God loves you so much that Jesus sacrifices his life so that you might have the beautiful life in the here and now and forever life someday. That meaning and value and acceptance and joy are found in God and through God and we simply pursue him because he first pursued us. If we go back to that line that we started with this morning, that life begins with what you worship. Mary is showing in this story that she has discovered that life begins with Jesus the one with power over death, the one with the power of life. And we'll be talking more about this in the upcoming weeks as we celebrate Easter, but but for now, Mary has discovered that life begins with Jesus. This is where she assigns ultimate value and ultimate worth. This is why she responds with such extravagant worship that we see here in John chapter 12 but that's Mary. How about you? This morning, I'm gonna leave you with this. The worship team is going to come and gonna play quietly for a few moments to give you time to reflect on these two questions. As Mary's act of extravagant worship is driven by the experience of new life for her brother Lazarus, what new life does Jesus want you to experience today? And then as you reflect on the quote that's there, what is God saying to you about your sense of what matters? Because that sense of what really matters to you, that's worship.